Hey, what's going on? It's Paul Allen, play-by-play -play voice for the Minnesota Vikings, and thank you very much for listening to the UK Scoldgers podcast. Play fake. Cousins taking a deep shot. Jefferson's got separation, and he's got the catch inside the 40. Jefferson still going. See you later. Justin Jefferson, have a day. And John touchdown. Herb Smith, the rookie from Alabama, with his first NFL touchdown. And once again, welcome back to the UK Scourges podcast, your number one home for all things Vikings related here on this side of the pond. Once again, I am James, uh, not going to change that name, and I'm joined by the ever-dependable voice of Tom Parry-Jones. Tom, how are you doing? Oh, do we have to do this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, unfortunately, we do. I know last week we had the episode previewing, and we, both myself and the other Tom predicted wins for the Vikings, but we're coming out of a weekend with a loss, which is why this episode's taken a little longer to get out uh, than it should have done, because we're all just kind of... We were just Stewie. very emo emotionally fragile after after last Sunday. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> the emotions yeah. would have been higher on the other episodes, but I definitely think we would have been less coherent. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I think we've needed the time to sort of an analyze what went wrong and uh, where we go from here, which is what we're hoping to talk about in the episode. You know, we'll bring it to the to the listeners and give them our considered opinion. Absolutely. We, we, we've taken the six, seven days ahead of time just to look at everything. And obviously the Vikings organization have done that themselves with certain moves, but we'll come to that later. But oh. to get the elephant out of the bag, if for some reason you've lived under a rock for the past week, the Minnesota Vikings lost 31-24 to Daniel Jones and the New York Giants at home in the first divisional round of the NFL playoffs this year it's the first win for the Giants in the playoffs in 11 years it's the first time appearing in the playoffs since the infamous yacht picture of Odell Beckham and the first win in 11 years which is just crazy to consider oh my days yeah that's nonsense like, I, I know we we feel like we've been bitten by the by the playoffs bug but the Giants have, have struggled in recent years and I, I honestly I don't think many people gave them much of a hope in um in last Sunday's game. Um I know a few predicted an upset just because of how up and down the Vikings season has been. Um but it it was close. It was a it was another yet another one score game, but we can't win them all. No, absolutely. It's it's annoying when especially when you consider that we were eleven and zero in those one score games in the regular season to go into our first one score game in the playoffs and lose it is just a bit of sweet pill to swallow. I know people were clamoring last all last season, well, this season, uh, saying we've rode a luck based on those one-score wins, but you have to be in it to win it. And when it's come down to it, we weren't in it. The only time we were close really was the fourth quarter when we tied the game up. But for the majority of the game, we were on the back foot, barring that first drive, first score. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh... It was it was difficult because it, the the defense really struggled early on. Like we we just didn't seem to be able to stop the Giants from doing anything. Um, 
They scored back-to-back touchdowns in the first quarter. Saquon Barkley just ran all over us. Daniel Jones, we couldn't stop him running. He was actually their leading rusher in the game. And um, and Isaiah Hodgins, their receiver, um, I don't think he's there. He's definitely not their number one. Um, Darius Slayton, I would probably describe as their number one receiver, but Hodgins was almost unstoppable in the receiving game. Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting to consider because you think Saquon ran all over us, but he had less rushing yards than Daniel Jones and Darwin Cook in the game, but it was those big plays that it came down to that we just couldn't stop. And it's something that's hurt us a lot of the season. Uh, You look at the four losses that we had on the year, and a majority of it came down to losing out on those big plays. I think the only one that didn't happen like that was the Green Bay game towards the back end of the season, but that was down to injuries, which again played its part into the loss in the wildcard round. Yeah, I, but that that happens over the course of a season. I, I've often said like the the success of a team depends on how few injuries they pick up. And we really didn't pick up that many injuries throughout the season. But once we got to week 17, week 18, losing those offensive linemen in the um, in the Green Bay game meant that we were we were going to struggle to keep Kirk Cousins protected uh, going forward. Like, he may not have been sacked too many times uh, in the game, but he, in fact, he wasn't sacked at all. But the pressures that were applied... And there was one in particular in, on the final play of the game that we will definitely talk about later. Um, meant that he struggled to make decisions. Yeah, uh, the stats the stats tell a lie because he was thirty one of thirty nine, which is very very good for two hundred and seventy three yards. That's that's what tells you the 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 secret of the passing game. So for me, I look at I look at. Um, how many yards per completion and if it's under 10 and significantly under 10 as cousins was on sunday then you're struggling in the passing game so he may have only had eight incompletions but they were on average for less than 10 yards so he's throwing short of the sticks almost every time and the receivers are struggling to make yards after the catch so (laughs) It, it played into the Giants' hands at the end of the day, as you said. I mean, going back onto those offensive line injuries, it played its part going forward. I mean, Garrett Bradbury came back for the first time in five games, I think it was, yeah. and recorded a PFF grade of 45.4 and allowed five pressures uh, getting targeted by Dexter Lawrence. Similarly as well, Ed Ingram allowed five pressures. Obviously, he wasn't beat up, but he's had a, a rough rookie season. Uh, Definitely by the looks of it. But again, it, to allow five pressures each, that's 10 in total. It's just, it's something that's going to cost you the game. For sure. For sure. Um, Dexter Lawrence, like he dominated our our offensive line. He was absolutely phenomenal. But And I think it's, it's unfair to say that like we shot ourselves in the foot though, or, or anything like that. I think the Giants played exceptional defense. They, they did very, very well to keep our, receivers contained in the secondary they did very well to stop us in the running game up front um delvin cook again only four yards per carry i mean four yards per carry you you should on generally you should be quite happy with that but he's he's our bell cow running back or at least he he used to be before we decided we were a a passing team 
But yeah. yeah, and it is almost like a case that he's lost his role in this team because of that switch to a pass-first offense. But I mean, it, it was very unfortunate that he happened to sign a new contract the very year that we drafted Justin Jefferson, who only managed forty-seven yards in the game, by the way. Yeah, but again, teams have learned this now and they've double teamed him, they brought in the safety help and uh, going for seven catches of 47 yards whilst getting all that still proves that kind of level. But it is a worrying sign that when you take him out of the game, the offense seems to stifle. But Mm. at the same time, players seem to step up. You take, again, having another massive game against the Giants, TJ Hawkinson, 10, 10 catches for 129 yards, unlucky not to get a touchdown, arguably. Uh, but it's a shame as well that he'll probably most be remembered for that game for his role in that final play. Uh, yeah, which is unfair, really, because it wasn't his fault. Like that was the that was the get the play that was drawn up, and he happened to be the the open target. Um, shall we talk about the final play now, or shall we leave it for later? Let's talk about it now. We've referenced it. It's it's there. Yeah. It's out in the open. It's out. So it's out in the open. Yeah. Fourth and uh, eight. Kirk Cousin gets the ball in his hands. Tom, run us through what happened. Uh so yeah, basically he just gets pressure up the middle, and um, the three wide receivers who are out there, so uh, Jefferson, Thielen, and Osborne, are all covered. Um, Hawkinson is the the option in the right flat, um, and he is open, and he ha- actually hasn't been brought down for a tackle like on the first contact at all all game so in theory he's not a bad option to dump it off to in the flat unfortunately he gets dumped off to about three yards in front of the line of scrimmage and does get tackled on the first contact leaving us five yards short so unfortunately cousins didn't see or was rushed into making a decision and therefore couldn't see that KJ Osborne does pop open just as he's making the decision to throw to Hawkinson. Um, but when you're being rushed, I think it must have been by Lawrence again. Like he's being rushed up the middle. Uh, you've got to make a decision. And oftentimes it's the it's the dump off to the flat that you have to go to. Unfortunately, it was covered by a by a DB and Hawkinson goes down. We lose the game. Yeah, it's a very unfortunate scenario for both players and the team as a whole because it didn't deserve to end like that. It's heartbreaking for the fans in attendance. It's one of those plays, as you said, he's got no other choice. He's got to go into the flat with the pressure coming up the middle and again points to the ineffectiveness of our offensive line to stop Dexter Lawrence coming off these injuries. You'd almost make the argument in this case that maybe going with Garrett Bradbury wasn't the right option because... Coming off a back injury, having five games out and coming into a playoff game is tough as it is. But then realizing that you're coming against one of the better de- defensive tackles this season in Dexter Lawrence, it's just, mm-hmm. it seemed like the wrong move. And you respect going with your main guy, you respect going with your starter. But when we've got a backup who played the last couple of weeks and was getting essentially match fit for the NFL, mm-hmm. and taking those snaps two weeks in a row and have that interrupted and have one week where, right, we're going back with the starter guy. Yes, he's had cousins for the past years of his career um, and he's got those cadences down, but maybe just going for the fitness overall was would have been the right choice. I think if if the player is... like he He's obviously a better player than... Was it Austin Schlotman who was starting the last couple of games? He... Um, Obviously, Bradbury is better than him. He is our starting center. 
And if the medical staff thought he's fit enough to play, I think it's the right decision to let him. I mean, maybe you're right that in, in the cold light of day, it proved that he wasn't actually match fit. And maybe the medical staff were going, well, we, we kind of want to tell you that he is fit because we want our number one guy out there. Um, but yeah, the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating and his, his PFF grade was, was super low for, um, for the game with, yeah, it proves that he wasn't the right choice, but it's very easy to make these assessments after the fact. Yeah. Hindsight is 2020 at the end of the day. Um, it's, it's, it feels like an awkward one to call this because yes, we lost, but it wasn't for our own fault, so to say. It's just because the Giants played better. And I think that's the one thing we can't take away from this. The Giants just outplayed us in every facet. I mean, we allowed uh, Daniel Jones to record an 80.9 PFF grade. He didn't have a single uh, turnover. He went 24 for 35, 301, and had 78 rushing yards, which was even more than Dalvin Cook. It was the most in the game, in fact, on yeah. 17 carries. We couldn't contain a scrambling QB, and it was issue that's plagued us this season we'd allowed the fourth most rushing yards by QBs in, on the scramble and it's come back to haunt us yet again yeah I wonder if that and we, we talked about this before starting the show um, is it a symptom of playing this 3-4 defense and do we need to switch back to 4-3 personally I'd be happy to stick with 3-4 as long as in the, the off season we recruit based on going to a three like playing a three four defense because if you try to um shoehorn players who are used to a four three into a three four there's going to be a, a, a fairly long um period where they're not going to be familiar with the system and it's going to show in the way they play but we we had success with with four three um is three four the answer? I, I look my my tactical knowledge is is not not especially good on defense, but yeah, we'll see in the off season. They got to recruit. They got to recruit for the scheme. Yeah, and it, it's going to be a massive off season in terms of that recruitment and going into it with the right personnel and the right staff on board. Um, and as you said, we did have success in the four three, but the idea of the three four is bend don't break it's yes you can have all this yardage in the midfield but once you get into that red zone we're not going to let you score and for the vikings this season we didn't see that they ranked second to last in points allowed uh on the season there was only one team worse in the entire nfl for allowing points uh on defense which is just incredible to say it's um, criminal for a team that has prided itself on on defense for for let's say decades we are we are now struggling on defense it's not yeah. it's not the first time it's ever happened but it it's embarrassing for a team like the vikings to not be doing well on defense 100 percent. it's especially of... when you've got names sorry especially when you've got names up front like zadarius smith and daniel hunter when you've got guys in the secondary like um harrison smith we have we have talent at all three levels of of that defense and yet here we are conceding the second most points in the league. Yeah, and I think the issue comes down to the fact that across the midfield and in the defensive back positions, we don't necessarily have that 
elite talent that we're used to seeing. I mean, on the outside linebackers, we have Patrick Jones, Darius Smith, and Daniel Hunter. And Hunter, to his credit, uh, has gone from being a defensive end to an outside linebacker and has transitioned across the season really well, coming away with the second biggest grade on our defense on Sunday with a 74.0. Um, he's starting to fit that scheme and it's working really well. But as we were talking about before the podcast started recording, the the one player that seems to be really out of it, which is surprising, is Eric Kendricks. He recorded 52.2 um PFF grade on Sunday he didn't seem to look like he was fast enough to react in coverage and his blitzing even his blitzing wasn't as effective as it doesn't seem to be and the interesting proposition here is I don't I said to you I don't see him being on this team next season because he doesn't fit if they stick with a 3-4 yeah he's I think his age is catching up with him as well I mean let me I'm not 100% on exactly how old he is but let's Double check. He, oh, he's, he's actually only he's actually only thirty. He's turning thirty one on. Uh, well, it would be February 29th, but there is no leap year this year. So, um, but yeah, he turns thirty one this year, which actually isn't that old. But he's been in the league for a while. Like he came in in twenty fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, twenty fifteen, and now he's he is a veteran on defense. He's part of that triumvirate of. Um, Anthony Barr, Kendricks, and and Harrison Smith, who um, basically led our defense for for a while, but yeah, he's his age is catching up with him. Yeah, it's that grand old adage of he's the wrong side of thirty now, and seeing him move on in the off season would probably hurt, considering he is an eight year veteran with the team and he's been absolutely stellar for those eight years. Um, but it would make most sense for him to go for play in a scheme that suits him more, which is a four-three defense. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, because he's he's a middle linebacker. He's not like because people f- forget like three-four. It's not really a three-four. Sometimes you might be better to, to describe it as a five-two because those outside linebackers, in air quotes, um, are going to be more like defensive ends. Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter. Hunter certainly was a defensive end coming through um, with the Vikings to begin with. That's why I guess some uh, in the draft, they talk talk about edge rushers rather than defensive ends these days. Um, but yeah, it, so getting back to my point, sorry, I got a little bit lost on the point there. But yeah, Kendricks is... He is a middle linebacker in a three linebacker system. He's not a one of two. Like even though um, uh, Jordan Hicks played f- well with him, like they played fairly well as a duo. I thought I thought they've played fairly well. Um, Kendricks really shines as the middle of three. He does. He really, really does. And I think it's that availability as well to just go shoot up and across the midfield and defense where he signs. And that's limited when he's got a person playing next to him in a middle two instead of a middle one. And it's just these mistakes that seem to be made under the Ed Dontel system, which has ironically led to Ed Dontel's firing. Yeah. Excuse me. And and sorry, just to come back to this, Kendrick's made 137 tackles this season, um, which is the second most of his entire career, only bettered by last season when he made 143 in 15 games. He played all 17 games this season and made six fewer tackles than a season when he played 15. Isn't that nuts? 
It's absolutely mental to um, think about that. But yeah, so yeah, Ed Donatel has gone. Um, I thought it was interesting going into the Giants game that he said that the Vikings defense would be like the game plan. He'd handed it over basically to the veterans. I think he knew he was gone. Um, it was just a matter of when the team was going to pull the trigger on on his firing. Uh, but he, you kind of know a, a coach has checked out when he's like, yeah, I'm just going to let the players do it. Yeah, the writing was on the wall for him. And I think that was the case long into the season. Obviously, people called into question uh, O'Connell's credentials as a head coach and not putting his stamp on the team when the argument to fire Dontel reared its head about week 12. Um, but I think it was fair to him to let him finish out the season, especially first-time head coach with a veteran presence, just to give him that bit more security uh, overall in terms of planning. But making the move in the off-season does seem the right choice. Now, it is our off-season, not the league off-season, but um, it goes back to what we mentioned about that planning for free agency and the draft. He gives us the opportunity to now get in who O'Connell seems to think is the right guy. And judging by his offensive hires, uh, we ranked fifth in the NFL for an overall offensive grade win 81.6 this season, uh, just ahead of the Bengals, and there's only four teams ahead of us overall, which proves that there are the right choices to be made. And I think I trust O'Connell to make it. And we were looking at names just before this about play or personnel who were linked with the job. And you mentioned around 15, but who was, <laughs> well, that, that, that really was on a, for you? yeah, that was on a list from uh, fan nation, the, uh, the sports illustrated um, inside the Vikings page. Um, the names that, came up were Broncos defensive coordinator Ejiro Avero, um, Rams DC Raheem Morris, who could be fantastic, but I think he's going to be on the hook to be going somewhere as a head coach fairly soon. I don't think he's going to want to, I think he'll want to prove himself as a, like with maybe another season with the Rams, like stick with the, the project he's working on and then move up to head coach somewhere else. Um, we talked about uh, Brian Flores, um, the Steelers linebackers coach. I, I think he could be he could be good. I mean, he's a he's a well known name, well respected among the NFL fraternity. Uh, Vic Fangio. Uh, the the article says if you believe the Vikings' problems were about coaching and personnel, but not scheme, Fangio might be the ideal candidate for you. So if you if you want to stick with a three four, but you think that they just need the right coach to get them to where they need to be with that scheme. He could be fantastic. Um, they also talked about Seahawks associate head coach, Sean Desai. He's also their defensive assistant. Um, apparently we interviewed uh, him for the DC position last year, but Donatel got the job. So the the team knows about uh, Sean Desai. Mike Petten could be an interesting internal hire going from assistant head coach to defensive coordinator. And then there's um, former Wisconsin head coach and defensive coordinator, Jim Leonard. Um, a few other names on the list, but there's there are candidates out there. Of course there are. Uh, it's just a matter of who the team thinks we should go with. I mean, I like the way they think about Fangio because he's obviously a former head coach with the Broncos. Um, and I, I like that 
<clears throat> excuse me again. I liked that under Zimmer. Like there weren't many things by the time Zimmer left that I did still like. But um, what I liked about his coaching staff was that he liked to surround himself with other coaches with head coach experience. And that could be something that a young head coach like uh, uh, Kevin O'Connell could do is bring in experienced coaches to take over the, the positional and, and coordinator jobs and um, let him be the inspirational leader at the, at the very top. It is interesting to see the names linked with the job. And I think three that really stick out for myself uh, with the first one being uh, Ejiro Overo, uh, Ivero. Uh, Evero, I think. Evero, sorry. Uh, <laughs> he's got 17 years coaching experience. He had 14 years in the NFL before he joined the uh, Broncos this season. And he spent five seasons with the Rams serving as a secondary coach, pass game coordinator, as well as their safeties coach. Under Evero in 2021 in the Rams, uh, they tied third in the league for interceptions with 19 and had 10 different players with at least one pick. Uh as well, Evero coached Randy to his second ever All Pro selection and his third Pro, pro All overall, and he, he's a strong presence as well. But not only that, he's got connections with O'Connell and Quisi already uh, from their past experiences, obviously being at the Rams. So that familiarity will be there, and I would not be surprised to see that Kevin O'Connell's looking at him thinking, right, okay, this is a name that could be doing it. The only issue is, will the Broncos let him go and uh, elsewhere for an interview, depending on who they bring in for their head coach? That's the one real sticking point for that. He's definitely got the credentials and the ability to see it. I mean, in 2020 as well, Everos oversaw the Rams defense that ranked first overall in the league towards the back end. And he's just, he looks like, he's got the future for a potential Hall of Fame career in his position. But again, will the Broncos let him go depending on who to bring in as head coach? And yeah, it, it it's difficult to say right now. I mean, maybe I don't know how, how quickly the Vikings are going to want to bring in uh, their new guy. I mean, they'll want to get him in before the draft, I would have thought, because he's the guy who's going to have to be working with these with these players for the next few years, you would hope. Uh, so yeah, I think we've just got to wait and see who the, who the Broncos bring in, in terms of whether we go for Evero as our DC, it, it's going to be interesting. It will hundred percent. Well, and the second name, again, keeping with the familiarity of the three, four, Sean Desai, as you mentioned, currently at the Seahawks, uh, really bring in a sense of strong familiarity to, uh, that defense, it's similar to Brian Flores in the sense that he wants to keep the 3-4. He's been linked with the Browns uh, already. He's not even interviewed there. So the Seahawks seem ready to let him go and be a coordinator elsewhere. So can he bring... And he's, only, and he's on. only 39 years old. So like he... And for, for, and for such a young guy, relatively speaking, he's got plenty of NFL experience. And it, it would be interesting to see like a young head coach with a young DC... Um, which would be a big change from the 65-year-old 60, we've just let go. That's it. I mean, one 
seemingly issue with the side might be his blitz rate percentage, which again was brought up this season on Donatel, and the fact that we didn't necessarily bring the pressure on the blitzers as much towards unless it was towards the back end of the season. Uh, he his one season as the defensive coordinator in, Cle- in Cleveland in Chicago, he sat around the twenty two percent mark for blitzers, which is around Woods's rate in Cleveland because uh, obviously they're looking at him, so they're looking at comparing him to the guy who's just left. It'll be interesting if he brings that sort of pressure, but can he up it more for to make use of the talents of Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter, or does he still stick around the uh, the 22% mark and just bring it as it's needed and hopefully has a lot more success than we did in this season uh, under the Donatel Deep scheme? And again, he's just... Being a young coordinator, he'll fit the new regime of going younger and more accessible to the players and not having these older guys uh, bossing around. I mean, one criticism you can have done, Tal, it's nothing he can really help, was the fact that he was 65 years old in a young man's organization now. And the Vikings, you now seemingly year after year, are going to be getting younger and younger. You want to keep up with that with your coordinators as well. And there was benefits to having that seniority as a former head coach in Donatel on the team but it didn't necessarily pan out in the end so going younger doesn't necessarily seem to be a bad idea yeah that said i mean o'connell i think was capable of commanding the the coaching staff regardless of how old his colleagues were um i think that because he brought in all his own guys or most of them anyway so uh, he wouldn't i don't think he would have brought guys in who weren't on board with him being the head coach and like oh this young upstart head coach who does he think he is i'm 65 i know better no i think i think he knew who he was bringing in and who um and they knew who he was but yeah you're right i think it's if you're going to go young go young across the board and i'm talking about nfl coaches here not anything else <laughs> Oh, dear me. I mean, I'm going to completely contradict myself now with this next name, and it's a name we've not necessarily mentioned. So it's 56-year-old coordinator Gus Bradley, who led the Legion of Boom in 2011-2012, had great seasons as a defensive coordinator for the Chargers, and even in 2021 at uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, he got Max Crosby to his first Pro Bowl career uh, season, uh, Denzel Perryman also got his first Pro Bowl selection after he had a single season career high of 154 tackles under uh, Bradley as the defensive coordinator. And Perryman tied for the third most tackles solo and ranked sixth in total tackles in the NFL. Now, wow. for the Chargers, he had top 10 pass defenses in each season and total defenses for three consecutive seasons between 2018 and 2020. He had four players go to the Pro Bowl, including Joe Bosa, who is a household name at this point, Melvin Ingram, and they both had six Pro Bowls between them, and they both registered for 61 and a half sacks under Bradley. He's a name that not only excites because of what he's done in the past, but he's still doing it and seemingly adapting to the modern game, which some older coordinators don't seem to do. And one thing that's going to be really in his favor is the fact that he is a Minnesota native. Yeah, from Zombrota, Minnesota, the only Zombrota in the world that uh, they build themselves as. Um, but yeah, he knows he knows the Vikings, he knows the area. Um, the the one the one thing I would bring up with Gus Bradley is he didn't have such a great record as a head coach. Like he he was fourteen and forty eight as a head coach with the Jags, a winning percentage of point two two six. 
which is pretty poor. But we're not bringing him in for his head coaching experience. We want, or we're not bringing him in at all at the, as, as things stand. But um, he, he he's not being targeted for his head coaching experience. I should say, um, he's being looked at for as a defensive coordinator, which he's got a proven track record as. Hundred percent. And but I think we shouldn't ignore the fact that he was an NFL head coach. The one thing I liked about Mike Zimmer's um, tenure as as Vikings head coach was that his coordinators and his position coaches often had NFL head coaching experience. Um, so, and that seemed, seemed to work fairly well. And maybe that could work for Kevin O'Connell as well. As long as, like I said, with, um, with Donatell, as long as these guys he's bringing in, even though they may be 20, 25 years older than, than Kevin, um, that they they respect him enough to let him do his job and not undermine him. Yeah, and you can see it in the post-game clips of the locker rooms in the wins. Everyone just hangs on every word Kevin has to say, and he really has got that locker room, which, again, under Mike Zimmer, especially was back in the tenure, he didn't have, and the reports coming about that when he got fired uh, was clear to see that players just didn't feel, always felt undermined under Zimmer. It definitely feels like O'Connell's got that respect and that Com- camaraderie almost yeah. with his locker room, which you want to see, and hopefully they can put back this disappointing result, but still look at the season as an overall positive. Because at the end of the day, we were thirteen and four when everyone expected us to fi- probably finish third in the division behind, just in front of the Lions. Yeah, no one expected us to do what we did this season, and O'Connell should get all the credit for that. Well, at least, at least most of it, anyway. Hundred percent. He he's turned a franchise around, which seemingly we looked like we were close to some sort of pit of despair, and we've now got a bright future. And that's that's what you want to see and hear. As yeah. an NFL I've been so franchise. sick of saying that the, that the Vikings that we're we're destined for mediocrity. Like oh, we're such a mediocre team. We're just so so mid. Um, this season has shown that we we have reasons to be excited for the next couple of seasons un- under Kevin O'Connell. Hundred, so excited. One thing I'm not excited about though is the prospect of losing some of the veteran players that we've that we've had over the last few years um who are on big contracts. I know we'll do an episode about this um soon, mm. but one player who I'm almost certain is not going to be on the Vikings next year and it's going to break my heart to let him go is Adam Thielen. Yeah, um, the signs are pointing to it. I mean, his wife's statements, his own statements just seem to be looking at the fact that he he knows the writing's on the wall for himself, and it's it's heartbreaking. He, yeah, he wants to go somewhere where he can still be the number one receiver, which he isn't here. Like, and I I think he's professional enough to to still be the number to be the number two to JJ because he knows that JJ is young, younger, and better. But I think. He's been with the Vikings long enough. Like he was on the practice squad, I think, in 2013 as an undrafted free agent. Like he was over here in London. He's one of the only players who's like come to London on multiple occasions outside of the Jaguars because they come every year. But uh, yeah, he's been on the team for so so long that, um, and also set so many records as a Vikings receiver. He's earned the right to go wherever he wants to go. Yeah, or to whoever wants him. Um, apparently, he and his family like they have a 
house in Florida. The kids apparently are at school in Florida. Um, I re- responded to a tweet not too long ago saying like if if he wants to go and catch passes from Tua, it's, the Dolphins probably not the the primary uh, destination for him. But you know if he wants to go to whatever team in Florida, catch passes from Brady, Tua, Trevor Lawrence, he's earned that right. And actually. Caitlin Thielen, his wife, she liked my tweet. So I I think it's just a matter of time before we say goodbye, Mr. Thielen. 100%. And he's definitely going to be a guy that signs a one-day contract when he retires to retire as a Viking. He's built a Hall of Fame career based on his story alone, but he's got the numbers to back it up. And he's... Do you think Do you think Hall of Fame? I think I he's, he's definitely Hall of Very Good. I don't know if he's Hall of Fame. I think the thing that puts him in the Hall of Fame is his story. You, you've got a guy who paid $100 to get onto his own tryout to then push to be considered one of the best talents as a wide receiver during his prime years and then plays part in the history of, as you said, two London games, the Vikings organization being a Minnesota native. I think just the feel-good factor combined to a very, very, very good career not elite, but a very good career so far, makes him Hall of Fame worthy because that is a story. It, it, I think of the Hall of Fame in two fronts. It, it's game changers and sto- his story makers for the NFL. And I think you combine the stats with the story, it's a trip you'd want to make to Canton for just to highlight how how good of a person Adam Phelan truly is. Yeah, he's a great guy. I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to look up uh how many undrafted Hall of Famers there are. And there's not many. Um the last I believe oh I'm I'm probably looking at an incomplete list, but I'm looking at a list of undrafted players to make it into the, the Hall of Fame. You've got John Randall, Warren Moon, both ex Vikings, Mick Tinglehoff as well, an ex Viking. Yeah, this list I don't think is... Com- oh, yeah, it's from 2005, so it's definitely out of date. But still, um, there's not that many players in the Hall of Fame who are who went undrafted. And the ones who did were part of very successful teams. Yeah, I mean, you've got Night Train Lane as well. He was in the Hall of Fame as to be an undrafted. Jim Langer was there. Uh, Larry Little, as you said, Warren Moon. A lot of the names are from the very early years as well. I mean, Emmett Thomas, 96, uh, 1966. Emlyn Tunnell, 48. Bill Billis, Willie Wood, Willie Brown. <laughs> there's, there's, a so- lot of, there's a lot of, well, there's a few names on the list. I mean, the ones from the early NFL are uh, definitely... Uh, let's get back to the point. Yeah. I don't think Adam, Adam Thielen's a Hall of Fame wide receiver. I I just think my own love for him just makes me want to see it, and I'll I'll fight on yeah. this hill once he's okay. retired as well. That he I think had, he deserves he to be in the had, Hall of Fame. He only had two seasons where he made more than a thousand yards. Uh, but again, it's a two story. more where he made nine hundred. But yeah, you're right. It's it, it is a story. He was he was the the main guy for us. At the he's very least, he's definitely Vikings Ring of Honor. That's it. At the very least, he gets Ring of Honor. He won't the, have the, his. He, yeah, he won't have his jersey number retired, I don't think. Um, like even Randy Moss hasn't had his number eighty-four retired for the Vikings. Like, I, no. I, 
Chris, I don't think Chris Carter's had his jersey retired by the Vikings. Um, oh damn, I'm gonna have to look it up now. Talk while I do this. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a very special privilege to have your jersey retired. Oh, Chris Carter uh, has had his jersey retired. Of course, he has. Oh, there we go. Number, that, that number eighty, but. Yeah, sorry, go on. Brand Tarkerton's had his retired. Uh, Tingle Hoff, another Hall of Famer. Jim Marshall, Corey Stringer, and Alan Page. They're, they're Corey, the only Vikings to have Corey their... Stringer is a, an interesting choice because he obviously, he was, uh, he died in um, in training camp in, yeah. I think, 2000 or 2001. Yeah. His jersey was pretty much retired straight away. Uh, so... Only six retired numbers. I mean, obviously, you can't retire every number for a great player because otherwise you'd have no numbers left. No. But, um, yeah, but... definitely Vikings ring of honor. Um, and if Sunday was Adam Thielen's last ever game as a Viking, then then let's not remember him for that game. Well, no, because but... he had a decent game himself. He had three. He had 50 yards on, this, on the game, and he made the plays when we needed him. It was very much Adam Thielen-esque. He, he was there when we needed him. Yeah, sure, but I'm not. My point is, I'm not going to remember him for that game. I'm going to no. remember him from for a lot of games before that. No, if this is the end for Adam Freeland, then fair enough, he's earned it, mm-hmm. and I can see him catching passes from. You know what? I could see him catching passes from Trevor Lawrence. I think Jacksonville probably has the best fit for him overall, uh, and that would be. Painful, but at least we'd have an excuse to go down to London every year. <laughs> yeah, he's earned that right. I mean, <laughs> I tell you what, I've got some stuff that I want Adam to sign. I've still got my, I've got my Thielen jersey that I wanted to get him, get him to sign. Then I'll stick it in a frame. <laughs> hey, dear. But yeah. So in conclusion, bad game, good season. Hire the right guy, and we'll see what happens in twenty twenty three. Can't wait. So with that, I believe it's the perfect time to call tail on yet another episode of the UK Scorchers podcast. Thank you very much for listening once again. You're an absolute wonderful audience. Uh, Next week, we will, as Tom alluded to, look at uh, who's hitting free agency, what we might pick up. And is it too early to do draft marks? Oh, that's not my area of expertise, my friend. Uh, I might might bring a draft mock to it, see what happens. Yeah, see if we can Uh, get a guest in. Oh, that could be good. If anyone has any sort of relevant draft experience and would like to come onto the show next week, please feel free to drop us a message at the UK Scorchers uh, on Twitter. The DMs are open, so feel free to get involved. But as, in. as always, I have been James. He has been Tom Parry Jones. We have been the UK Scorchers. Live well. Stay safe. And as always, the most important thing in life, Skull Vikings. Skull! Woo! <laughs>